for our first message today. We have a split sermon from Mr. Art Williams. I'm going to put aside his hat as a piano player for a moment and give us a split sermon. His title is Answered Prayer and Things Go Wrong. Mr. Williams. Part of the process that assists us to maintain a state of readiness for the kingdom of God is the Holy Days. It's a continual reminder annually of God's plan and helps us stay focused. The Day of Atonement, the Day of Atonement is next on the holiday, Holy Day calendar and with it is an annual fast. Today, I want to go back in time to ancient Israel when they were ruled by the judges and examine a very curious incident. An incident that may have an application for us in our personal lives, spiritually, and with our relationship with God, as it involves fasting. I want to give you a little background on the book of Judges. Uh, the book of Judges takes place after the death of Joshua, and the book records the first 300 years in the Promised Land, and the activities of 12 men and one woman, one woman designated as judges and raised up by God to deliver Israel. Most of the events recorded in Judges took place between 1400 and 1100 BC, and the author of the book is not known. So it is. Should I go back and start over? Or? So I want to start with the repercussions of the incident. I'm not going to go through the incident. It's a rather grisly incident. Um, it happened in the ter territory of Benjamin by men from the tribe of Benjamin. I'll leave you to read about that if you care to in Judges chapter 19. Um, I'm going to begin with the repercussions of that in Judges chapter 20. Verses 1 through 3. This is when all the children of Israel they find out about what happened and they're somewhat outraged. Then all the children of Israel went out and the congregation was gathered together as one man. From Dan even to Beersheba, <coughs> excuse me, with the land of Gilead unto the Lord in Mizpah. And the chiefs of all the people, even of all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God. 400,000 footmen who drew swords. It's no small military force that they had at their disposal. Now the children of Benjamin heard that the children of Israel were going up to Mizpah. So they knew they were gathering for a fight. Then said the children of Israel, tell us how was this wickedness? And they are talking, addressing that to the person who was involved in, well, had the incident happen to some of his people. I'm going to skip that and go down to verse 7. Behold, you are all children of Israel. Give here your advice and counsel. And all the people arose as one man, saying, 
We will not any of us go to his tent, neither will we any of us turn into his house. But now this shall be the thing which we will do till Gibeah. We will go up by lot against it, and we will take ten men of a hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, and a hundred of a thousand, and a thousand of ten thousand, to fetch food supplies for the people that they may do, which they come to Gibeah of Benjamin, according to all the folly that they have wrought in Israel. So all the men of Israel were gathered together against the city, knit together as one man. And the tribes of Israel sent men throughout all the tribes of Benjamin, saying, What wickedness is this that is done among you? Now, therefore, deliver uh, to us the men, the base fellows who are in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and put away evil from Israel. But the children of Benjamin would not hearken to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. If you watch any crime shows, that's very typical. People want to protect or not to turn over those that have perpetrated an evil deed for whatever reason. Sometimes they're scared of them. Other times they're relatives who they care about a whole lot. A whole lot. And continue on here. But the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together out of the cities of Gibeah to go out to battle against the children of Israel. So we're looking to have civil war. One tribe of Israel against all of Israel. And the children of Benjamins were numbered at that time out of the cities 26,000 men who drew swords besides the inhabitants of Gibeah who were numbered 700 chosen men. Among all these people, there were 700 chosen men left-handed. Everyone could sling stones at a hair and not miss. That's a pretty talented person if you've ever tried to use a slingshot, which I have. I was never that good, not even close. I could hit the side of a house. And the men of Israel, beside Benjamin, were numbered 400,000 men who drew swords. And all these were men of war. And so, a civil war is about to begin. Continuing in verse 18. And this is where it gets very interesting. And the children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God and asked counsel of God and said, Which of us shall go up first to the battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Let's turn back now to... Judah, Judges rather, chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. Now after the death of Joshua, and it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? What's going on here is they're in the land, the promised land, and God had given them the command to take that land over and to eject the people that were in that land. So there's no question that they should go up and fight here. And the Lord answered and said, Judah sh shall go up first. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. I, shall, I have delivered the land into his hand. Going back to verse 19 of chapter 20 now, continuing the story where the Lord answered the request of Benjamin, and said, Judah shall go up first. Verse 19. 
And the children of Israel rose up in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin, and the men of Israel put themselves in array to fight against them at Gibeah. And the children of Benjamin came, out, came forth out of Gibeah and destroyed down to the ground of the Israelites 22,000 men. 22,000 men of Israel were lost when they went and they asked God, should we go out, with, uh, should we go to battle against, which of us shall go first into the battle against Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah. And they lost the battle. A couple of questions we can, can ask. In verse 18, they didn't ask the Lord if they should go out and fight against Benjamin. They ask who should lead the battle. In verse 1, they already knew they should go out because they were told to take over the promised land. Also, in in verse 18, the Lord said that Judah should go out first. In in chapter 1, verse 1, he followed it up with the statement basically saying that I will give you victory. Here in verse 18, he didn't say that. So the the situation in verse 18, chapter 20, is a little bit different being in a civil war here. And they're going out against their own people. So continuing the story, In verse 22. In the, and the people, the men of Israel, encouraged themselves and set their battle array, there again in array, in the place where they put themselves in array the first day. And the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening, and asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up again to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother? And the Lord said, Go up against them. And the children of Israel came near against the children of Benjamin the second day. And Benjamin went forth against them out of Gibeah the second day and destroyed down to the ground of the children of Israel again 18,000 men. All these drew the sword. So they went out a second day, but this time they asked the question, shall I go out again to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother? The Lord said, go against him. And again, they lost. What's going on here? Is it because they had an attitude of revenge rather than an attitude of justice? Is it they were perhaps presumptuous where God was on the matter? Or did God expect that they should have been able to win on their own without him? They had 400,000 men. Benjamin had about 26,000 plus a few. But one lesson for us to learn on this, they didn't walk away from God because it would have been very easy to say, no, this God, I don't know about him. We, you know, we just ask it. We should go out there. Judah should go first. And he said, he, he said Judah should go first. And that's what we did. And we got clobbered. We went out second day. We got clobbered again. But they didn't lose heart on that. And I don't know if anybody can say with any certainty why this happened. But let's take a look at what they did then. Then all the children of Israel and all the people 
went up and came, into the house, came to the house of God and wept and sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the children of Israel inquired of the Lord, parentheses, for the Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into thine hand. I don't know if anyone can say why this series of events happened, but fasting and sacrifices corrected it. And why may not even be the pertinent question. Rather, simply doing what we're supposed to do in a prescribed manner and taking the steps to see that our relationship with him is, in fact, negates having to understand why. I'm going to leave this story about Israel at this point. It continues on through the rest of the end of the book, and you can read that if you care to. It's, it goes something like cavemen grabbing women unsuspectingly by the hair and dragging them back to their man caves, Something most of you women wouldn't appreciate too much, and you men, well, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> but I'd like to go back over to Hebrews 9.22. Hebrews 9.22. <clears throat> and almost all things are by law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. That's an interesting scripture because I saw on TV a little story about a, a Christian missionary in, in Israel. And she had this lady that always came to her services. And she brought her son with her. And her son was totally anti-Christian. And as he grew up to be 16 or 17, she used this scripture uh, because he was, he was adversarial. He wanted to fight about it with her. And she used this scripture and said, where are your sacrifices? You don't accept Jesus. And you don't do your sacrifices anymore. So you do not have any remission of your sins. That was the thing that stuck in his craw because he went and he, he talked to his, his Jewish elders at the synagogue and he did his own studies and he couldn't find any way around it. He ended up becoming a Christian. And it's interesting, too, at the end time, it says the sacrifices are reinstituted. They don't accept Christ, but they go back and they reinstitute their sacrifices. So that's just an interesting side point. The point is that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And it's Christ's blood that was sacrificed for us, Romans 5.11 Let's start in 10. <clears throat> no, 9. 9. 9. <laughs> Sorry, Brian. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the in the King James, it's atonement or reconciliation in my Bible. And 
Continuing in Matthew 9, 9. Matthew 9, verse 9. Well, let's drop down to 10. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat eating in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto the disciples, Why eats your master with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that are well need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And if we turn back to Psalm 51, we get a little insight into what he's talking about. Psalm 51, 15 to 17. Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth, shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou desirest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. The Jews... In the, specifically the Pharisees and Sadducees of the time were very good at turning these things around and somewhat corrupting them, I guess, is a, say it in the least. Let's go to an example of their fasting since we've covered the, the sacrifices of what God really wants to have from us. Sacrifices of a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Let's look at fasting and what happened in ancient Israel, well, not so ancient, but at the time of, at the time of Jesus. And let's go to Luke 18, Luke 18, verse 12. Uh, let's go back a couple. Let's go to verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week, and I give tithe of all that I possess. Now, how does anybody get to that attitude? And the tax collector stands afar off and would not lift up so much of his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Continuing in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. It became, keeping the law became a point of pride, arrogance, and righteousness rather than maintaining the intent of the law. And if we go to Isaiah 58, the fasting chapter, we'll get a little more insight on it and just how obnoxious the attitude was. Essentially, they pick a fight with God here for not honoring their fast. 
They felt that God had to answer them. God was obliged to answer them because they fasted. Picking up in verse 3 of chapter 58, Why have we fasted, they say, and thou thou seest not? Why have we afflicted our souls, and you have taken no knowledge of it? You know, (laughs) behold, God answers, Behold, in the day of your fast you find pleasure and exact all your labors. Behold, you fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. You shall not fast as you do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. James Fawcett Brown commentary expounds a little bit more on on their attitude here. And I'm just going to say what I said at the beginning was they basically felt God had an obligation to hear them and act on on their behalf because they did this physical thing. And their actual behavior and conduct had nothing to do with it. Let's continue in verse uh, 5, where God tells them the type of fast that he likes to see. It is such a fast that I have, is, is, is it a such a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to flick his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread sackcloth sackcloth and ashes under him. Will thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of the wickedness and to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that you, you break every yoke? It is, not to deal thy, is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry and that thou bring the poor that are cast out of thy house? When thou seest the naked that thou cover him and that thou hide not thyself from thy own flesh. In other words, when your own relatives or maybe father, mother, sister, brother need help, you run and hide so you don't have to help them. Let's continue on and see what the benefits are for having a fast that God approves of. Verses 8 through 14. Then shall thy light break forth like the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the, of the Lord shall be thy rear guard. Then shall thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, and put forth, putting forth of the finger, he's talking about pointing your finger at other people, and speaking vanity. And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be like the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. And they shall be of thee, shall bring, and this is looking out into the future, 
I would believe. And they shall be of thee, of you. It's not you, but those that come from you. Shall build the old places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. And thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach. That's an interesting statement because uh, there's a place here in the Bible, and I don't remember the scripture, I didn't look it up at the time, where God says, I'll search for a man, and there is no man to stand in the breach. And you will be restored to the path that to dwell in. If thou turn away thy foot from, if thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and thou shalt honor him, not doing thy own ways, nor finding thy own pleasure, nor speaking thy own words. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the, the heritage of Jacob, thy father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So as we go about our lives, it's important that we maintain a good relationship with him so we avoid getting into the situation that ancient Israel had where they, they prayed, they asked, and they still, things did not come out right for them for the first two times. But to their credit, they didn't give up on it. They still sought God and things in the end did work out, but there's a lot of pain and sorrowing, both from the civil war that they embarked on and the events that followed in the following chapters of the book. So remember, all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Things may not always work out the way you want, but don't despair. God is still on his throne, and he has your personal welfare as his concern.